Hey guys, Bryce here from Flex Cortex. All content on the Flex Cortex podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitution for medical advice from a qualified health professional. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. happening guys welcome to this week's episode of flex cortex today i'll be speaking with jeff anderson jeff is the owner of pig iron athletics and currently works out of yard athletics in vancouver as well as doing his online coaching alongside steven cassioli which is one of the bigger names in the powerlifting space in the bc area specifically vancouver um, today we'll be talking about some assessments um, doing them in person versus online and how to work around that barrier and some things that he considers for his intake process. And as well as how do you carry that over to their programming for the first couple months especially. So if you wanna follow Jeff on Instagram, his Instagram is at Jeff T Anderson. So J-E-F-F dot T dot Anderson. If you wanna check him out on his website, it is www.pigironathletics.com. I will also have the Instagram link and the link tree in the caption so you guys can click that for his info. But thank you guys so much for tuning in to this one. Hope you enjoy. So what sports have you played? Yeah, so I guess starting back, um, I've played a lot of different sports, mostly contact sports, but... Mm -hmm. First sport probably played was ice hockey, typical typical Canadian boy. Um, yep. I was in skates at the age of four, Played started playing hockey probably like the age of five, played a lot of backyard sports like soccer, baseball. And then from there, I guess you could say like semi-organized sports being in high school. I played like volleyball, basketball, badminton, you know, did a little bit of track, high school, same thing got more involved into like football and rugby more more geared towards contact sports as I got older um, played competitive hockey that's a loose term competitive because I was not good enough to play at like the junior level for Canadian sports um, but that was probably like the highest level of athletic uh, competition that I played it was just like our rep hockey and um, but I definitely had more of an affiliation to contact sports. So I would say like hockey, football, ba um, rugby, basketball, played volleyball, did track and field. Uh, yeah, you name a sport. I probably tried it at some point, fooled around with lacrosse or whatnot. So, but yeah, I, even in addition to that, I've like watched a lot of sports too. So even ones that I aren't popular in North America, like Aussie rules football. I've watched that on TV just to see being like, how do you score a hundred plus points in this sport? And what the heck is going on here with like guys running around, clotheslining each other and jumping and kicking balls. This looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> how do I do this thing? Um, yeah. So that's, I've played almost every sport under the sun. And if I haven't, I could probably pick it up pretty quick. So what made you want to get into training then? Because obviously you, you know, you drifted more towards combat, contact sports, not combat sports, uh, but contact. And then what made you want to get into like training? So funny, it's kind of a, 
there wasn't like one instance. It was almost like an evolution. And there were like, I would say there was almost like checkpoints in time where training just became more apparent. So like the earliest I got into it was around elementary school on like one of those sport teams again. And one of the coaches was like, oh, you know, you guys got to start working out. You got to do your sit-ups, your squats, your lunges, your push-ups, you know, your pull-ups, like start doing that stuff. So I started doing that in my, in my room. Um, when I was like 13 or 14, I was big into like the infomercials of like the Bowflex ads. Yeah, so I got a, yeah, yeah. so I got a Bowflex at like 13, 14 years old. I paid for it myself. Yeah. And then I kind of like maxed it out to a degree. So I sold it like a year and a half later for almost the same amount that I bought it for. I bought it for like 800 and I sold it for 750. So pretty good, uh, pretty good, <laughs> pretty good gym membership for like 50 bucks. Um, yeah. and then I got a gym membership, but even along that, a, that like timeline, um, at the time I was seeing a physio cause I had like a, a weird hip deficiency where like one of my hips was higher than the other. Um, okay. And I was dealing with like Oshkid Slaughter's uh, syndrome when I was doing like my growth spurts. Like in one year, I grow, I grew like over eight inches in one year. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. So I like, so I had a big shot up and that was like elementary to high school. And then I, one of my biggest injuries to date was a fully dislocated shoulder playing rugby. And because I was with my physio at the time, she just said to me, they're like, if you want to continue to play contact sports and not have your shoulder bother you, you're going to have to work out more and train. So it doesn't just so it doesn't bother you and you get like good range of motion, you have good strength. So I took training more serious then. Um, and then just like out of my own curiosity, you know, start following like muscle and fitness, all the magazines, um, whatnot, got into like he's gone now, but like Greg Plitt was like a big guy at the time that I looked at. He was just ripped. He was pretty strong for like what I would, what I would consider strong at the time. And like what I was seeing and then just seeing like other people, I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Like you walk in, you can be like pretty strong. You have a certain look, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just like that ability of like, you could, you could make a change and see the change. Like that was big for me. It was like, I could, you could you could create context with around what you can do, how you, if like how you train, and then it can it can come out as to like how you look and how you do things. And I did notice too that like once I started weight training, like being more physical in the contact sports was a lot easier, right? Like yeah, it was it was that was like my first insight into you didn't have to be the biggest guy to be the strongest guy, and you could you could look a certain way and perform totally different as well like it was always like the smaller guys are always really quick and the bigger guys were always like really strong and slow but through training it was like i wasn't the biggest kid or i wasn't the heaviest kid or the fastest person but i was able i noticed that like i was able to leverage certain things being a certain size and then also because i resistance trained like just super simple stuff i noticed i was better able to do those things um, yeah so that's what kind of that was like the gradual progression of like getting hooked getting hooked getting hooked more and more and more 
Yeah, so it started off just for the benefit of sport and then obviously changed over time. Yeah, like got injured. Benefit of like coach kind of said it, trust the coach. You want to do it. You want to make the team. Um, got hurt. And then I just kept an interest in it because I liked seeing the changes and feeling the changes. So I was like, oh, let me learn more about it. So just like my curiosity developed more and more and more as time would go on. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, most people, when they start getting into fitness in general, start off with like some sort of home gym or some sort of home equipment because it was the same thing for me. I think we got some like secondhand equipment when I was like 15. So like just very dungeon style, like (laughs) half of the basement is just like rubber floor matting. Oh, yeah. And like we had like a bench press with like a lat pull down and like cable attachment and stuff like super like dungeon. And then we just used like a home theater or home home theater like aux aux system for like music oh yeah yeah very old school it's fun though and i think it's it's cool because it makes you have appreciation for having a like you know obviously very little equipment but it makes you good at programming when you have access to like a larger facility too because you're used to just using like i mean for you you have just like the bow flex at the time but even if you just have like dumbbells or if you have like just free weight and stuff it opens it up oh 100 percent. yeah it's just like it's like being a kid in a candy store. Right? You're yeah. just like, oh, I want to, I want all the things, I want to use all the things, and I have all the toys. It's like, let me tinker. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why I like traveling a lot. Actually, is trying different gyms out. One of the reasons I like traveling. Yeah. So, um, when did you start doing like PT work? Oh, okay, so that's like, that's funny because so I started doing PT over eight years ago. Um, after kind of going through an interesting school route, uh, but yeah, over eight years ago, I started in my call in college. That was like my Mm -hmm. first start, uh, training people while I was still in college. And then also working at like my co-op too. That was like the, that's where I started and got a lot of my experience, at least that I would get paid for. Cause like, I mean, I wouldn't count it as experience really. I mean, yes and no, but like. I didn't know what the heck I was doing at the time, but like I would work out with buddies and I, when I was a lot younger and I, it was kind of like, you'd have like your workout buddies, but there was kind of uh, a gravitation towards like, Oh, Jeff, you know what you're doing? What are we doing next? Or like, what do you think about this? So, yeah. Yeah. um, I would, you know, the odd time buddy would ask would like work out with me or just like even people in the gym sometimes would, kind of like have conversation with me with regards to like, Oh, what do you think about this? Or like, Oh, I'm doing this right now. Or just like, I would spark up conversation because I was so curious and intrigued by it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, over eight years now. So I was like 29 now. So about like 20, 21, um, is when I first started. So you, you were the gym tour guide at some point. Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was like a gym rat. I was definitely like, if people if I didn't know you, people knew me just because like I was there all the time, or just because I made myself apparent. And especially when I worked at the gym that I had worked out at for so many years, like people just knew me by proxy of like, you know, people, other people that would cross over in times, or just like I just became the guy at the gym, which is what you want to become if you're going to be, you know, especially in a commercial gym, it's like you want to be the guy, 
right? That just, that's almost a measurement of success in itself, where it's like, you are the resource, you are the guy, the problem solver, the person, the go-to person, like however you want to coin it, you want to be that guy. And I got there working at the commercial gym that I was at. I got there pretty quick in about a year, less than a year's time. So that was, uh, it was a very interesting experience getting to that such a young age too. Yeah. And I, I tell most people when they're actually like on the podcast too, or if they're asking me about training in general too, that a commercial gym is probably the best place to start just because you have so much traffic and you have so much like exposure with people. You learn really quickly what works and what doesn't work. Um, and then you also just like can fine tune and enhance your own skills just by working with like a wide variety of people. Cause like most of them are going to be gen pop. Um, and you're gonna have to just like learn to be really resourceful and like work on the fly, which is, um, again, really beneficial when it comes to training in general, because even if you end up branching off and working more, more with like athletes like yourself, like there's a lot of benefit or utility of his having those like skills and being able to think on the fly. hundred percent. I think one of the reasons I actually did spend so much time in more of a commercial setting or a gen pop setting was actually because of a, uh, a big Toronto trainer. Um, his name was Lee Boyce. So he's kind of like a strength coach. He's been on T nation. Um, he has his Actually, own website. Yeah. yeah it's big, is, big, yeah. Tro- big trainer in Toronto, uh, through, through college when I went to school for it, he was one of our speakers and I got like, I just waited to talk to him after. And I was like, if you gave like some simple advice in terms of like developing a career, like this is the thing I'm going to do. What would you suggest? And he's like, honestly, He's like, you need to spend two to five years training, not just at like a commercial gym, but training gen pop so that to your point that you just said, you get to see everything and you get to see a lot of it and you get to go through a trial and error process of like, do you like training gen pop or do you like training specific niches, but try everything because you never know really until you try it. Um, and you get to see what the process is like of like training athletes, training in a more rehab setting. Do you want to go with like a physio chiro route? Do you like just training gen pop? Do you like a commercial setting? Do you like a private studio setting? Do you like in-home training? Um, do you like uh, like group classes? Do you like small group classes, big group classes? Do you like to do the spin in the, you know, funky, trendy classes or what trampoline class or whatever it is? Um, do you like yoga? Do you like Pilates? He's like try it all, spend time in those gyms, see bodies move young and old, different varieties, like people that are injured coming off of big injuries, people that have never been in the gym before. Um, Oh, I forget the, I forget the term. There's like a term for like people who are not adept to moving or just like understanding that your body in space. Um, for perception. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like kind of not to make fun of them. It's just called like movement dummies. It's like they don't, Mm. they like legit, they're like, my arm goes like this, right? And you're like, I don't even know what you're doing right now. I've never seen that. Yeah, your arm's not where they think it is. Yeah, yeah, it's just like they have no concept of anything. But it's like you kind of get their history and it's like, I I don't move. I sit at a desk. Um, But that breadth of experience and then because you get that breadth of experience of seeing so many bodies working, you know, burning out here or there. And just getting so much experience um, of like training people, then you can make a better decision. Also, too, a hidden thing with working in a commercial setting, most commercial settings, even if you're in a private studio, 
you have to learn people skills. So dealing with like different personalities, learning how to like sell to a degree, like have those conversations over money, which a lot of people kind of get don't don't want to do don't want to do they get nervous about it because a lot of people have like different aspects to money like i know i was at first too like i was so like anti-sale i always kind of prided myself when i was younger of like if i do such a good job i can just mention the word money and people are like here it is like that was kind of my goal when i trained people is i like i gave such a good experience of training that whenever money came up it was more about like you know do I start? it was more about like give me the paper to sign and then the yeah. extension then it was about like oh we got to figure out number crunch sessions scheduling um and then as time went on it's like that's not a reality um because it like it does happen like one of my biggest sales was i got this client um initially trained them on like a 24 package and they liked the the training with me so much they bought a hundred sessions as the as the renewal and they wanted me to train their kid as well so they bought another hundred sessions for their kid wow and i was training them the one client two to three times a week and then i was training their kid two to three times a week Oof. So that was like my biggest sale in like a commercial setting. Um, But then at the opposite end, I also had to like nickel and dime someone where I got them on like a 12 session package where I would see them every two to three weeks, giving them a program just so they, because of like, to my, you know, example of like, oh, I wanted to sell them so good on training. Like that's how good I was at like, at the time of working with people or just like figuring out how to work with people where, you know, I provided enough value that this person literally had to like finance training to train with me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that was, uh, this is kind of going off on another point, but it's like, that's how I knew I was like, I was pretty good at this thing. Right. If I could get like some people in the context relative to that person's situation, if I can get someone to, spend over ten thousand dollars with me on 200 sessions and then someone who doesn't have that amount of money to want to finance training to still have value to see because they see the value in having me in their life i that was like two opposite ends of the spectrum of like i'm pretty good at this thing so you know that was a big insight to me like and i only got that working in a commercial setting because i got that again to your point of like i got that breadth of working yeah. with a variety of people, variety of personalities, seeing bodies move. I would only have gotten that in a commercial setting. Yeah. And like, just to kind of work off that, takes I think it's so important stuff to talk about is like, they teach you so much in like PT school, right? About just, you know, movement mechanics, anatomy, um, a lot of the very like hands-on stuff, but they don't talk to you about communication, which communication is like super important. And if you can't, communicate with somebody um but then also like the sales aspect of it too like you mentioned before like being able to actually like try to promote yourself or like actually show value in what you're trying to offer to them it makes it hard to try to get them to buy in so that's why it's like really good to be in a commercial gym at the beginning because it's like okay well you can actually build your build your confidence with presenting being able to actually like present yourself as a trainer and show your value because it's like it can be really tough for a lot of people that i've talked to 
when they try to go private right off the bat, like when they first come out of school, because you don't, aren't super confident in what you're worth. So like you're asking like, oh, is this okay? Like this, this amount of money. And then like the, the person you're pitching to is like, well, why are you asking me if it's okay? <laughs> so then there's that whole like conflict of like, okay, like you shouldn't have to ask what you're worth. You should just know. Oh, hundred percent. I think like you hit the nail on the head with the communication aspect of you can, and you've probably seen this too, just from like your years of experience. It's like, there are trainers that are not, you could coin them. We could, we could coin them as not good trainers in the industry, but people could coin them as great trainers in the industry because they're so sociable. They're so communicative and they have great personalities and they have really, really good people skills, but their training skills aren't that great. But in a gen pop setting, it's like, you know, us as trainers that like the like X's and O's, the numbers, the programming, that like elaborate scientific side, we mm -hmm. say the value in training is in that. But we always forget to the person. It's like if the person, because we work with people, we don't work with pens and papers or we don't work with X's and O's. We work with people. So if the person on the other side finds value, that at the end of the day, especially in a gen pop setting, is the most important thing. And just like, I like to make analogies a lot. So I find this and like, I found this analogy to actually be true with just like corporate and business, especially in like, if you look at like a salesman, um, yeah. when trainers get jealous when they can't sell and they can't communicate like those trainers that can't do it. But even in that business setting, when in those corporate settings, if people are really good as like have really good communication skills, have really good people skills, interpersonal, intrapersonal, a good enough personality, but they suck at their business. It's like, but if the metrics look well within the business as a whole, yeah, it's easier to teach the business skills, how to use Excel, how to, you know, yeah. do specific proposals, make PowerPoint slides, make presentations, organize paperwork to like, depending on what you're doing, right? In any type of business setting, whether it's a lawyer, finance, marketing, advertising, research, like whatever kind of business you're in, sales. But teaching those business skills is a lot easier for a business to do. Teaching a person how to ha how to be personable and how to have a life outside of their work is very hard. That's a yes. that's something that like the person has to do themselves. Yeah. And in training that gets highlighted a lot, especially in the gen pop setting. Um, is that like if that person has a personality or is a good person, they can learn the skills. And I definitely was jealous of these people in the beginning too. And it was just like being in a much more mature situation now, it's like I would almost prefer that sociable person because teaching training to them is super easy. Yes, that's true. Right? You can teach them how to be a better trainer ad nauseum because you and I are probably in the same situation, which is why we get along of like, we're going to be constant learners because we're still trying to like, we're at probably a certain level of training where like training gen pop, we could do that ad nauseum. Like learning more is more so just the benefit of like maybe learning a different perspective, but really it's just more of a, out of our own curiosity. But for those, for sure. but for those other trainers, you and I could probably help them 
ad nauseum of like trying to improve their training skills, but their people skills, it's like, I don't have to worry about it, right? Trying to teach someone people skills is just as hard and you can't like, you could learn that in school, but it's just one of those things, right? Where it's like, you kind of have a knack for it and it takes a lot of time to really develop that over time, but it's easier to teach the skills of training people than it is to teach a human how to be a human. <laughs> like, yeah, as weird yeah, as yeah, that okay. sounds, it's like, yo, yeah. be a person. You train people. So you got to be a person, <laughs> not a robot. Yeah. Right. And I think that's why, like, the industry itself has, like, such a high turnover rate is because people think that, like, training itself is more than it actually turns out to be. Um, or they think it's going to be a lot easier than it actually ends up being. So, like, that's why, you know, when a lot of trainers come actually – because we see a lot of trainers coming through the corporate setting right right now, especially. Um, and like you just mentioned, it's very true though. Like if they're really personable and they have like a good attitude and they're like wanting to learn, those are usually the ones that like will do the best and like prosper and grow there. Whereas the ones that come in are like really, you know, quiet, keep to themselves. Those are the ones typically that won't be seeing all that, all that much success in a corporate setting um, or just like in that gym in general, because they're not willing to like put themselves out there. Right. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting, like, growing process for me, because I definitely was not more of that personable side. And then (laughs) that was the one thing that actually made my training better was trying to being a little bit more of that personable side. And I, again, goes to the whole thing of like, if I didn't do that in a commercial gym setting, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have better been able to develop those skills. Cause now I know I could walk in. I'm at the stage of like my career that like I could walk into any commercial gym and I can probably be the best trainer within six months to a year. Um, just because I know the skill set that's needed to be that. And it's just more like, I know how to do the X's and O's and be that person and be that guy. Um, but it took me eight years of training people to know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you're you're trying to figure it out. At the, you know, we're all trying to figure it out, honestly. But it's a matter of just like again, kind of knowing which skills that you have to follow, and then fine tuning it to that, right? Mm-hmm. But then it's also like you mentioned before too, like always trying to strive to have that mentality of wanting to learn more and that desire of wanting to be better. And I think that that's one thing that you can't teach somebody either is like, okay, you have to to be wanting to like always develop your skills and to learn more and to grow more as a person and grow more as a coach. Like you can't teach somebody to like want to do that. Um, so that's why, again, it's like a certain, it's like a certain breed and a certain kind of person to do that, especially, um, which is why I'm thankful that I know a lot of people that are, are like that. Yeah. And I would even say to your point about like the turnover, which could be like a whole podcast in itself, to be honest of like that topic, is I feel like a lot of people when they initially try it out, that is the mentality. And then somehow along the way it's lost, Um, whether it's through burnout or just like, it's an unfortunate thing because there is like a stigma behind personal training that it's not a career, it's just a hobby. Um, And more so now it's trending to like, you can make a career out of this. Yeah. But there is that stigma still of like, oh, it's, it's just a hobby thing. Because that's how it started, to be honest. That's how pers- personal training started as just like a hobby thing, a side hustle, right? Um, oh, for sure. Like I train with the, the gym I currently work at now. There's someone that kind of does it as a side hustle. They work a corporate job, kind of like a nine to five. 
and they kind of and they come in about eight to ten hours a week as their side hustle but they do it out of the enjoyment that they actually really enjoy doing it they love working with people and they just like training yeah and i think it's like you mentioned before it is changing like i think over time now it's finally making it more well known that you can actually like be all in on training and make a decent living doing it so it's cool that it uh, the industry itself is expanding and growing um because it definitely would agree that that was the the norm before was like you must be doing something else full-time throughout the week um and then like this must be like you like you even mentioned like your quote-unquote your hustle um or just like a side gig for you yeah so what um made you want to move to vancouver or like and when did you move to van um because i think we we trained together and it was like september like for the first week of september right because that was when i yeah. was there on vacation um because we had been talking after ps well we didn't meet in ps1 that intake but we met through labs yeah because um, you were in i think but, we met was it you were doing the barbell course yeah and then you got you the barbell course got access to the labs and we met through the labs yeah yeah because i did um oh I, i'm so bad with time frames um i did i did ps1 and like I, th- I, I want to say like last year, but that sounds too recent. <laughs> oh God. Don't even get I think me started two, I think, on the timeline, man. I, I <laughs> think it last year, maybe the year before, at least a year ago, I did PS1. But yeah, I'm pretty sure we met through Barbell though, because that was like one of the one of the first intakes of Barbell. It might have been the first or second. I didn't do Barbell at all. It's on my list to do eventually. Um, okay. It's, it's, um, especially since I helped help to contribute to that book um it'd be interesting to see uh just some of my contribution of just like the exercises within the within the book it was pretty cool process actually yeah um but yeah to your original question so yeah you came in september i got to vancouver august 30th oh so you only been like a week for literally like i think it was like two or three weeks i forget exactly when you came with you and your buddies Um, but to the bigger question, so moving to Vancouver wasn't a thing until about that same month of August. So I got there August 30th. It wasn't an idea until about maybe August 1st to 3rd. I forget the exact date, but it was like literally like that first week of August. So to backtrack a little bit more. I moved to why I moved to Vancouver was specifically on a whim to work beside a strength and conditioning coach at Simon Fraser University, Chris Robertson. Um, Chris himself was a strength and conditioning coach that worked with CSIO, Canada Sports uh, International, Ontario. It's like a CS Canada has like their kind of Olympic sports centers all around. So they have one yeah. here here in BC, actually, in Langley, which is on the island. Um, yeah. They have one, I, I think. There. Yeah, and they have, I think, somewhere else in the on the west side. They have one in Ontario, and then they have one in the east coast. So he was at the big one in Ontario. He was part of the head strength and – he was the strength and conditioning coach for the women's rugby team. So he was a part of the strength and conditioning team and the head coach for the women's team that got to, like, third in the world for rugby sevens, I believe. So yeah. he was a part of like that big upcoming for women's rugby. 
Um, unfortunately, they had a recent big fallout, and he moved just before that big fallout. But he got a job to come out to Simon Fraser University as the head strength and conditioning coach there because they were doing a big turnover. Right. Why, how I got connected to him, a mutual mentor of ours who I met uh, at my old place of employment, the Granite Club, he and he mentored me kind of through there as well. He connected us through COVID because he, I was getting more and I was leaning towards more of the strength and conditioning side, the science, the training, the aspect, the psychology aspect. I liked training athletes. I just liked that whole performance end of like, I hated the mindset of like, Oh, I want to just get back to normal. I was more about like, what can I really achieve? And what can my body do? What can I train my body to do? Even if I'm hurt. Cause one thing like, like one of my biggest eye openers, and again, I wouldn't have gotten this unless I was in a gen pop setting or until I followed more athletes. I trained a guy that had no ACLs, but he could squat over 200 pounds on his back. If you learned that in school, you probably would have been like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with this guy because I can't get him to bend his knees. And it's like the guy walked upstairs, yeah. right? He had no ACLs. Now the story behind it was just like old football injury. He never knew. And then when he went to go like MRI scans later for like something else, they just realized they're like, you have no ACL, but like your body's conformed these, this like tendinous ligament structure to help grant support. But with that too, it's like when that gentleman started training with me, not to go on too much of a tangent, but yeah, like I was able to build him to gain ability to like gain more mobility, gain some strength to it. it's like, what more can I do even though I have these limitations? So that trended because I was trending more in that direction. Um, this mutual mentor of ours connected me to Chris originally connected with him. We were supposed to meet in Ontario. I was living in Toronto. He lived in a city called Pickering, which is like about 25, 30 minutes out. We were unable to do it because he was COVID round two had happened in Ontario, big lockdown. Mm. Um, so we just kind of kept virtual communication he got hired out and i was like oh i'm never going to meet this guy i'll just kind of keep in touch with him um then my mentor i uh our mutual mentor again sent me a post uh a job posting or an internship posting saying that like oh look he's looking for interns what do you think i had no idea where sfu was so when i was looking it up i was like oh man that's in vancouver that's bc i was like i've never heard of it but i was like it was a very interesting um thought because originally i said no and then about a week later my mentor kind of like kept pestering me about it because i was talking to him a lot at this time just like with covid switching over with business having an opportunity and one of the things he said because he was about uh like seven eight years older than me and he's like dude you got nothing holding you back he's like i have two kids now and i got a third one or like and i'm building a small family and like a lot of these other guys that were more in the strength conditioning field like they have experience but they would have loved to have had that opportunity, even if it was like for a month to go out and go to work in a collegiate setting. Because uh, in Canada, collegiate strength and conditioning is not really a thing. It's more of it's super, super, super niche. Um, you might only get that experience if you go to that school specifically and you work in like the kin program. There's no yeah, real like yeah. strength and conditioning certs. I think Brock University is the only one that's really starting to like build that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the unique thing about Simon Fraser was that it was an NCAA regulated school. 
they had made a pitch to the NCAA and the school made big, big conversions to like their football field, their basketball field. They met up with certain minimum standards and they made the pitch like 10 years ago. So that's why they were right. They were announced as a NCAA competitive school. So, and in strength and conditioning, getting that collegiate experience would either be having to go to the States or look at this opportunity that I have to do it in Canada. Um, and especially within Canada too, with COVID at the time, it's like trying to get a, trying to go to move to the States probably would have been a nightmare. I don't need a yeah. passport to go to BC. I'm a Canadian. I don't even need a passport to go. Right. I can just drive. I can drive there and not have to worry about like border control. Cause it's like, I'm Canadian. So as all this is going on too, I'm also like rebuilding up my business back um, as much as I can. I'm in a contract negotiation with where I was just working at the Granite Club. Um, coming back as a private trainer, I was rebuilding stuff in downtown Toronto, working training people at in-homes. I'd built up a pretty good income through that summer, spring and summer with like, you know, COVID kind of dying down. I can train people in houses. I was training people at like soccer fields. I was training people in homes. Um, I had built up a pretty good revenue stream and a referral stream. And I was like reaching out to private facilities and whatnot. But again, my mentor just like pestering me with this and this opportunity to, you know, take this massive jump that at some point I was kind of itching to do. So I said, okay, how can I make this work? What do I need as like a minimum? Like if I have these things, whatever they are, I got to take it or at least try. So one of them was get the internship, reached out to Chris, asked him. He said, hundred percent, I would take you on, but I can't help you find a place to live. And I can't um, give you an income. Like that's not my job. He's like, I, and he even said too, he's like, I highly suggest you don't just pick up and move here. If you don't like, if you don't have that, like, I don't want to burden you to do that. Cause that's a huge risk you're taking. Um, and I said, don't worry about it. The fact that I have the internship is step one. So I need, okay, I need to find a place to live and I need an income of some sort. So through prescript, Kyle Baxter, shout out to coach, coach Bax. Um, he was a Vancouver resident. So I reached out to him and I was like, Hey man, I am trying to work out this thing to go to SFU to move there as a one year internship. So, um, can you help me? Like, do you know anybody that can help me like get a job there? Is there any like gym you would suggest working out at that happened? Boom. Took like six days. So again, this is like the beginning of August. So this is like second week into August had the internship, had a job kind of lined up for me. So I was like, shit, now I just need a place to live. So I'm like, hours after outside of just like training my clients and like working on that small business and negotiating a contract of going back to another gym i'm spending every single waking hour on my phone like condos.ca realtor.ca facebook marketplace uh like kijiji like looking at like other places to like find a place to live i'm like running on adrenaline sleeping like five six hours trying to trying to find a place to live um boom find a spot so in 17 days i'll never forget the number because it literally was like 17 days i couldn't tell you when it started when it ended i just know the whole process <laughs> took 17 days yeah just um, over two weeks, so. it's just yeah it was just like a, it was a crazy time um and again this all happened in a month right because i moved there august 30th and this is at like the beginning of august so in 17 days i 
got accepted for an internship, found a job, and I got a and I got a place to live. So I'm like, shit, now I got to do it. So I had to like form all my clients, start packing up my shit. Um, at that time too, I was living month to month. So I was not committed uh, to my apartment because I'd been living there for like three plus years. So I could just, I was month to month. I could just like easy cancel, no problem. Um, had to sell some stuff, move some stuff at my parents' place. Uh, packed up all my shit in my car um, and then drove out five days to what west coast road trip um to to bc and i made it in five days and i've been here ever since but that's what brought me out to bc was the internship to intern with chris um and then i've been fighting to stay here ever since to to make it work so uh, how have you found like navigating and working with the online space versus the in-person space I know that you've obviously done your fair share of, of both now, um, especially over COVID, right? You were able to establish your online business and then do some very select in-person stuff there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you find navigating um, both and then advice for people that are trying to do both or dive into more into one? Yeah, it's um, the toughest realization for me was that just like an in-person training, it's going to take time. Uh, I think, and I got, I definitely got caught in this, was that like you want it to happen, even though you commit to it like 100% because you need to, mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's going to happen as fast as you want. Because even my online remote, even now, it's super, it's super slow of a build. And a lot of it has just been even bootstrapping stuff together of like, you know, one-offs or like periods of time with people. Um. So navigating the online space, a lot of it is just for me right now is like, I'm still figuring it out because there's aspects to where I train people as like a virtual training session. So have them for the hour, they have the equipment and I give them feedback as if like I'm there in the room with them. Nice. There are some people where I do more like calls with them um, or consults. So that's like a one-off. That's kind of like a one-off payment there. There's people where I just give them a program, they follow it. Yeah, I've established some sort of communication with them. There's people where I, excuse me, talk to them at a higher frequency throughout the week. They send me their lifts. I have a small chat through like WhatsApp, um, doing do kind of like a generic email, weekly pro, like kind of like a weekly update. Pay me for mm-hmm. a certain amount of months. That's like one stream too. Um, there's something that uh, another thing aspect that I'm working on now through just like some of the people that I'm affiliated with out in BC where, you know, we're trying to set up programs on a renewal basis where it's like you just pay us like a smaller subsequent fee and you get like this access to this program and you get a nice. tiny and you get a tiny bit of support for it. But it's like lowest barrier to entry. You go do it yourself because you're somewhat competent and you have the um, that accessible to you. So there's just like broad range of online that I've been able to try and have that I have a little bit of experience or a lot of experience. I don't want to say like a lot as in just like I've done a lot with a lot of people, but like I've been working at it for like at least three years now, um, even pre-COVID because that was the idea pre-COVID was to eventually transition to that. Um, But uh, I definitely got burnt out at least twice psychologically of just like I've committed to this thing. Why isn't this thing working? Like I'm still trying to figure out my space in it. And I think, I'd say like, just don't get discouraged with it. Um, 
you will probably get burnt out with it. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is just like, I'm still trying to figure it out and sort it out. So, and it's okay. Yeah. That's the biggest, it's okay. It doesn't happen as fast as you think or you want it to. Um, and I definitely was jealous of like looking at other people that got so successful with it so fast. You know, when you look yep. into those people that did get that successful that fast, they had other things going for them. Sometimes it's a little bit of luck too. Um, but you can't, and like that's human nature to compare yourself to those people. Just like I would compare myself to people in person when we train, just like we talked earlier about like the trainer that's super personable and they get all the people, but they're not good like training skill wise versus the person who's like could be a stud like X's and O's, but like they can't even talk to a wall properly. Um, So navigating the online space is just like, honestly, like my, it's just, just keep working at it. Be patient enough with yourself to at least try a lot of things be open to the opportunities that might present themselves because you'd be surprised at what you might like and what you don't like. And at least if you can't, I figured out more so what I don't like, which for me has been a lot of like how I've made my decisions more. So a lot of the time people are like, pick one thing you like and run with it. I, I, I like a lot of different shit. Like I'm not like a one trick guy where it's like, Oh, I, I know like the one thing that I like. I've always been, the opposite end where it's like, I know what I don't like. And that kind of guides me in the direction of the things that I'm good at and what I do like. So with online training, it's like, I don't, I don't mind doing the in-person sessions, but from an income standpoint, it helps sustain, helps keep me financially stable for now. And if anything, it's a nice side hustle for me right now, because I can potentially use that down the road to help facilitate something else. Um, I do know, where I would like to trend more towards my, my goal with that over the next few years is to see like, how can I coin this down and target it down to like, this is the thing I'm going to do where that goes. We'll see. That'll kind of be the fun part of the process. I was just so eager in the beginning to just get it. Cause I was like, Oh, I need money. You know, this is the thing I'm going to jump on like everyone else is doing. And I just, I, I almost set myself up to fail instead of, taking a more realistic approach, but that's the learning process, right? So if, if anything, if I can share that experience with people and like that insight of just like, it will probably be more of a slower approach than you think, just like it was for you to build up your training in person, right? So don't be too hard on yourself. It will take a lot of work, but think of that as like, that's a part of the learning process for you to be really good at, at that. So that's what I would say from there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of valuable information in that. And I also do think that people need to realize that um, online training and just like social media in general is very like algorithmic based. Um, And a lot of it too is like what you post, when you post, you know, if you utilize reels, it's like sounds that you post with, right? Um, It's trying to almost like, in a sense, like, I hate the word like bandwagon and I hate like saying that you want to hop on some trends, but like if you're able to utilize some sounds into your content to get you some more exposure, then exposure can help. Not that, you know, we think we talked about it before, even like not that exposure is always clients or like, you know, client acquisition, but exposure is more exposure for your page. 
um, which when you're first starting your online, you know, business or you're trying to build your online presence, it's like, okay, well, you could actually utilize just having more exposure coming to you, whether it's people like, you know, DMing you, asking you questions, right? Kind of building a bit of like an online name for yourself. Cause like if you are in a gym, um, obviously your your presence is just you being in the gym, but your online presence is something that's typically separate. So it just takes some time to build that. And that's something that I, I've even found for myself too, right? Is like trying to make sure that I'm kind of constantly putting out content that people can take value from, but then also like trying to be like, I hate the word like trendy because I'm like, I'm not really trying to be trendy, but like you, you almost have to for some content just so that way you can get people to like, look at your content and like pull people to your page. Um, just so that way you're going to have some client to like turn over. Obviously you're not going to, you know, turn over all the people that are coming to your page, but um, some will help with just like acquisition. No, hundred percent. And I think this perspective took me a while and it took me even longer to make this connection social media is the same thing as training in a gym and you can almost think of it like this so big thing overarching concept especially with social media is recency bias that's how social media works the more apparent you are the more people pay attention to you especially for like what you're posting so i almost think of it like when nobody follows you on social media that's like you in real life of people not even knowing you yet they might see you on the sidewalk They might see you kind of like post something on the live feed, but that's it. When people follow you, that's like having, that's like when you work in the gym and you have all the gym members that follow you, they kind of know you, they might know you by proxy. Some will, some will be like that person. That's like your best friend. Right. But then at the same time, it's like, you get a new member. They're like, yeah, I kind of came across you and I joined your gym. So it's like, that's like your followers engagement is like those conversations that you have with people all the time. Sometimes it's just like planting the seed. Some people are super engaging and they never do anything. Some people it's like, just like in the commercial gym setting, it's like you might have never talked to one person and then all of a sudden they want to buy 50 sessions with you because they see your shit all the time. That recency bias, just like it would in a gym where it's like you're training people, you're talking to all these people, you've never talked to them. All of a sudden they come up to you. They're like, I want to buy 50 sessions with you. You're like, I don't think like I've seen you, but like I've never had a conversation with you before. It's like, oh, I got a referral from somebody else. And it's like, oh, so you're friends of friends with somebody in the gym, just like it is on Instagram. Oh, you two are friends, which is why you followed me. And then you've seen my stuff. So you've given me that validation of that, like your credit check towards me. And now you trust me. And then you're just like, you're sold because your friend was sold or your peer was like whoever was connected to you that was sold. Um, And then your clients are your clients that you train, right? Which is also like a trainer's greatest asset of marketability is training people, right? You're recent. And again, if you're on the gym floor, you're always a parent. You're always, it's something that you have to accept as a trainer because it is the business. Um, There's a saying that like sex sells in the gym. And while like looking a certain, and part of that is just like, if you look good in the gym, people like that will sell, right? Don't believe me. Why is OnlyFans a thing? Right? Or why do IG models all of a sudden get asked to be trainer or have a training program when again, they might not know anything about training, but because they look a certain way, there is a a perceived bias that they look like they know what they're doing. Right? Yeah. But to a trainer, taking a step back from that is like 
you, if you are a trainer on the floor, you need to look the part or like to, to a degree, you need to look like you know what you're doing and you need to, you need to admit that to when people look at you. Same thing on Instagram. You need to admit out what you are, right? If you're a coach, if you're a trainer, what you do, how you train people, posting videos of people. And like, this is something, again, it's, it's been such a slow learning process for me because I'm an overthinker on anything. I'm so over analytical on it. So, which is the, like, I'm definition of paralysis by analysis. Um, but it's to, because of that thought process, this is how I think of it, where it's like the analogy of like the gym and social media. That's how I've been able to make that perspective connection of like being on social media is just as like it is on being the gym that scalability of like not people not following you people following you in the gym being comments having them as clients is the same thing on social media where it's like people that um people that don't follow you they do or like people seeing you on the floor they might not talk to you all of a sudden they buy packages from you and then you have like the one person that talks to you all the time and they never buy a package but they're just like yeah being that leech of information as bad as that sounds but it's like, it's the same thing as it would be in a gym setting if you're trying to operate your business on social media, right? And yeah, for sure. That's that's like the biggest analogy of a connection that I've seen. Um, going back to your first, to your previous question of like training people online, it took me eight years and then three years of going through COVID to just figure that out now. And so it's it and it took time it took me time that's all it was yeah i think a lot of it too is just like having the times change you know like having having everything happen with covid and stuff and just having all the lockdowns happen and being kind of forced to like if you were in person all of a sudden you're forced to go more into the online space and adapt um and kind of just find out what works for you and then having to get used to a different platform and a different style of training um, cause at first, obviously it's quite a bit different. Um, there's a lot of aspects to it that are similar, a lot of things that you could carry over to both, but online training and online coaching in a, you know, concept and in, in, in a theory is just a different, different form of training, but it is, um, it is, it is neat. And I would advise again, like the, that was a good analogy that you used with the, you know, followers or having like you know the online and the in-person stuff being very similar when it comes to like building your name um but then yeah the biggest thing is just patience but then also to add to it i do think that people are like you know we're all in our head too much um and this is actually a talk that i had with um mike mike from yeah mike from common we talked about it oh yeah um and it's a matter of like realizing who you're talking to i think i know for myself personally I, like with my posts, I always get caught up in like, hey, like I need to post something that will like impress peers. Um, but I think what a lot of coaches need to realize, especially like new coaches, is like post content for your potential clients and don't be posting for your peers. Obviously, you know, your peers will probably still benefit from it. Um, but if you're trying to always post for your peers, then, you know, you're probably misdirecting content and you're not being as informing as you could be. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's it's tough, man, because it's like the biggest thing for me was just like I always thought of it as a bigger deal than it was. I was in my own way, um, 
I, for some reason, I just had this angst and this, a lot of this jealousy and envy towards these people that were so good on social media. And part of the way, like you mentioned of like, this is the way that things are going to go now of like changing times, you know, like when Google first came out, people were Googling people just in case to, to know more about them before an interview. And then Facebook came out and until they had their privacy, it's like, okay, I'm going to Facebook this person. And then there was an issue of like, oh, you posted a half naked picture on your profile. It's like, yeah, it's my personal profile. It's not a business profile. Right. But that created like a whole thing. Now it's the same thing with Instagram. Right. It's like, yeah, um, the, the recent job that I just got here working at the gym. Right. Like it's it's like I gave in my resume. But other than just like seeing the qualifications, the second thing they did was look at my Instagram profile. They're like, oh, okay. And, th- and that came up in like our, in our interview. It was just like, oh, I see you're posting this on, you know, like they were asking me questions about it because now that's a part of your business card, right? So, yeah. and Killian, shout out to Killian Hamilton. Um, he was the biggest guy that kind of like punched me in the face for that. Um, Cause I, he, I had asked him for help for a handful of things and he just dissected the shit out of me within like three weeks and he he's just like you don't need help with that other stuff you need this and it took a it was a it was definitely like an eye-opening experience um but i'm definitely like so thankful that he even just like there was a transaction of money for sure for that but at the same time like he knew it was one thing that I needed and he took the extra time to help me sort that out for me. And Mm -hmm. I'm super grateful that he was even just able to do that um, for me. And he realized that and like just that whole process, it's like, I, even though I only got one thing out of that with, with working with him, that was the one thing that I definitely needed. And it's changed the trajectory of like how I think about things going forward. Um, and even just like how I carry about myself and my thought process towards things, even just with like social media in general, but it wouldn't be for if I didn't like continuously try to seek that out and he wasn't there to help me out for it. Yeah. It's having somebody there to kind of help push you outside of your, outside of your comfort zone a little bit too, and get yeah. you out of your head so much. And I think that that's, a big thing but i feel like a lot of it too is just like when you're first starting out especially it's just consistency um even if you don't have a, a huge following it's a matter of trying to like act like you do yeah yeah <laughs> um and just like posting regularly and trying to like make people feel like they're heard like they're acknowledged that they're appreciated right um and then try to make connections like a lot of it is just like networking but to go back on it quickly it's like your instagram like your facebook is like your online resume so if like somebody looks at you especially if it's like a business page and you're like applying for a job in that related field it's like they're gonna scroll back right like they're gonna scroll down and see like okay what was their content like before because it will show like what kind of person you are and they'll even see like oh when was like when was their biggest change in their content because people can tell right they can be like oh like when were their posts changing or if like you have a blended page, it's like, oh, there's a bunch of partying stuff down here. It's like, when did it change or why did it change? Or if like, you know, someone's like, oh, this person's really qualified. But they click on your page and you're like pounding a two six of vodka. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe we're not hiring this person anymore. Even if you're, you know, really good at your job and like extremely qualified, right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's uh, it's becoming your new business card. Yeah, totally. 
So uh, to get back on a couple little questions here, just about more of the training side of things again. Um, so with your business now being, you know, a lot of it being in online, but some of it still being in person, mm-hmm. what are some of your go-to assessments for your intake process? And um, I guess the biggest thing with that would be the differentiation between doing them online versus doing them in person um, and just some things that you look for. Yeah. So I've created personally through like my years of experience of just like learning a lot of stuff over time, um, courses that I've done, because I've done a lot of courses. uh, I've been able to refine my assessment intake to be able to do it in person um, and online. It is transferable from what I can do in person to online. There are just certain things where if I'm in person, I can be more hands-on. So there's certain aspects of the assessment that I can do to a higher degree for my own sake of just like problem solving and getting to know the person better. Um, But online, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting learning process. What I found most useful is just getting people, especially in the assessment intake, asking even before like getting them to do movements it's usually just getting base questions of like, you know, what do you want out of this training? What are your goals? Is there a timeline? Have you ever worked with somebody in the past? What was that experience like? Um, do you have an injury history and what exercises do you like and not like? Even before I get into like a physical component, because then I can get an idea of how much of an assessment I need. Um, especially working with somebody online. Yeah. Um, cause I know right away, it's like, I can, I can almost only cause I've been doing this long enough. I can almost tell what the assessment's going to go like as I'm giving them, as I'm getting that information back. So when I do give them the physical assessments of getting someone to do like, Oh, for example, I like to do in person. I like to do something of a Thomas test. It can, it can show me a lot about like mobility of somebody. Instead of like giving, I can't, instead of teaching somebody to do a Thomas test, I'll give them a video of a couch stretch and I'll be like, Shh, but I'll put that in their workout. I'll be like, send me, send me a video of you doing this stretch um, as a part of your warm up, And that right away can tell me a lot about like their, do they understand to a degree of like how we're, how this communication is going to work? Um, their level of competency of like understanding their, their body and space you know if they said they've trained a lot they actually know like how to kind of set themselves up to do it their feedback with it where it's like oh i wasn't able to do it or like i wasn't able to figure it out or like maybe they get into the position they're like i don't feel a stretch and it's like well you don't feel a stretch because you're not doing it right um but then there are other things where it's like okay you know like show me a body weight squat show me a split squat can you get into this like 90 90 position so you know i like to explain it where it's like you're sitting on the floor, you have both knees are bent at 90 degrees, one knee is one leg is out directly to the side of you doesn't matter which side your other knee is right in front of your belly button with that knee bent at 90 degrees. Can you stand there without using your hands, right? And then however their body shaped, you know, sometimes I'll ask them to give me like different views around them. So I always like to do angled views to start and then maybe as a reinforcement, I'll say like, give me a back view, give me a side, give me a front, but the angled view kind of, kind of give me 
the best interpretation of 360 degrees of like yeah. a front back side to side um and then yeah like that way too with those videos and some of those assessments of like okay do this stretch or like you know i have an assessment like the bottoms up kettlebell overhead press it's like not everyone's gonna have a kettlebell right or even if they do um you know them sending me a video might not be of the best quality so even in that first month of training them I'll have certain exercises that I always put within the program and I'll ask mm-hmm. them to, to send me those videos. So even that first month, and this is something that you probably, I don't, you've probably learned this too. It's like, you're always assessing the individual. So that first month is just me doing constant assessments. I might give certain feedbacks of like big rocks of like technique, but I almost, I don't give a lot of feedback right away of like technical fixes because, um, I've noticed a lot of the time it's like people you can you can tell how training someone's going to be because they can their body almost intuitively figures out what they do in space um and especially over like weeks of repetition with it as they get more practice their body just naturally adapts to it right us as coaches and like giving cues and technique changes and modifications just make sure that like we speed up that process that's how I see, like, especially online, like that's all it's meant to be. Uh, one thing I like to institute, though, is a lot of tempo work. And I actually got this idea from Stu Locke. Shout out to Stu, Kodiak Barbell. Um, something that he did for his power lifters, he gave them all tempo work in their first block. And even if it wasn't for the full block, it was specifically to see like, okay, you tell me your maxes are these, or you tell me you can do these movements and these are your issues. This acts as like a litmus test of like, are you communicating to me correctly? Or are you just blowing smoke? Um, and also too, with like tempo work, it's like, how hard are they willing to work? Cause there is a certain like percentage of work that you can do with tempo. And then what you can actually lift at like a normal speed. So are you undershooting? Are you overshooting? Are you kind of in the right zone? Why are you overshooting or undershooting? You know, it gives me extra layers of questions to do. I could also look at technical faults, right? When things are done really fast, instead of like playing it back and going like super slow on like your phone or on the computer, I could see it in real time. And that tells me it's like, oh, you know what you're talking about for like your own weaknesses. This is good. Or you might think it's this, but it's actually this. But I can see that better through tempo work. So it acts as a really good introductory block. Um, and if anything too, you take them through that first month, it clean tempo work just cleans up a lot of the garbage, right? Moving slower. Sure. The weights aren't as heavy, but it's like, it's like, Oh, I'm not moving as much weight. I didn't say don't move as much weight as you can try to move as much weight as you can. You'd be surprised how much tempo work will then benefit you trying to do that. And then when you take that tempo work away and you move at the pace that you want to move at, boom, um, a lot of those fixes are corrected, right? So it's like, that's a way that I found with training with people online is like using those coaching techniques or using like a method, a sub method of tempo training provides me less jargon and communication of word vomit to the person of like, put your foot here, put your weight here, do this, do that. It's like tempo work. What do you feel? Oh, I feel off balance here. Okay, try to do this. Fix it, boom, done. 
right? Big rock. There might be 10 things wrong with this person when they do do an exercise like a back squat. I don't need to give them 10 cues because the person will not be able to comprehend that. And if they do, the weight on the bar is going to be a lot less because they think like they're thinking harder than they're actually physically working hard. Um, so I need to find a way where the temple work will help correct a lot of things. And then I can give them one, maybe two things to work on. And hopefully those one to two things can help correct three to five things. And then the temple work will also correct something. And then next thing you know, this list of 10 things that I have to work on for the first block has gained momentum. The second block, I work on five things. Third block, I maybe work on one or two things. And then that like one to two, maybe three things is just cyclical of like going through training phases on nauseam because that's training, right? You're always going to have those like weaknesses and strengths that fluctuate for a while and they change. Yeah. But if I can get that big in that first few months, that first big training block, if I can increase the efficiency of me doing something through things like the tempo work, getting them to show me videos of certain exercises and then reassessing from there and then just giving them a small amount of things to focus on and that goes well, that sets the trajectory of how well I'm going to be able to train that client. Yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of really great take takeaways from that. It's like, especially with the tempo work, right? The tempo work puts a lot of things on trial. Uh, makes them more aware of where their body is in space and time. Um, and then just like overall, just movement in general. Like, cause I think a lot of people aren't, it's like we spoke about earlier in the, in the podcast today. It's like a lot of people have trouble with knowing where their body is in space and time. So I think, you know, tempo work actually kind of makes them more aware of how they move. Um, and it makes them more aware of like really, again, like small cues that you really want to try to give them. Cause you made another good point about like how, you don't want to give somebody like 10 cues. Like if somebody sends you a squat video and you're like, Hey, okay, uh, here's a 10 point bulletin list of things you need to work on. Like the next squat they're going to be doing is going to look nothing, nothing remotely close to what you want it to look like. And it'll be a lot less weight. Um, whereas if you're just like, Hey, I'm noticing like this one thing, try this. And they're like, Oh, it feels better. You're like, awesome. Roll with that today. And then like next session, be like, Hey, this is what I'm seeing again. You know, it's repeated you know, after evaluating like stress, you know, sleep, um, recoverability, volume, stuff like that. I'd be like, Hey, this is recurring. I noticed it last week, but I was wanting to make sure that it wasn't just an off day. Let's try this. And then just try to implement that too. It's more digestible for the client. Right. Yeah. And like, you'd be surprised. And like, this is again, going back to like what we talked, spoke about earlier, right. It's like you're a new trainer in like a gen pop gym and you're giving them like this, that, and the other cue right out of school. Cause you're like, yeah, I know my shit. I know how to fix all these things. And you're just having like word vomit to the person. And you're like, how the heck are they going to decipher this information? Um, and you realize they can't. And that's, yeah. that's an onus of like, you made the mistake. The client was doing what you asked and what you asked is the result of what you asked that's a hard thing to accept especially that was like one of my first lessons of like working with people way 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 back just going back to what we spoke about earlier so having had that experience now translated to online it's like i already know that where it's like i just need to give them one to two things but i could also this is a big thing that i like to do in training is i try to as best of my ability and this is part of the assessment process as well is put them in the best position to do the exercise and try to get them as close to what I need to, to put them in that position so that 
what I need them to do, their body is just going to intuitively do it to a larger degree than me telling them 10 instructions. Yeah. I just give them a generic instruction of do this in this position, whatever they don't do. I either say, you know, depending on how, what I see fit, right. One or two big things. And even if I still see the other eight faults, I don't care. Right. Cause I'm not meant to fix it today. No. Right. It's meant, it's going to be fixed gradually. I just need you to work on one or two of these big things that are the bigger rocks and that stuff we'll get to later. Cause the other thing is too, it's like, it might be corrected as we go along. Yeah. It's an ongoing thing, right? Like you're, you're, especially if you're working with somebody for like a longer period of time or duration of time, like as long as you're seeing some sort of weekly improvements with them, um, and efficiency and, you know, tolerance for a movement and just competency in general, or even just like, you know, capacity for volume, you know, you're looking at just as long as you're seeing like an upward trajectory or like an upward trend of things, then like the client is progressing. And I think that's the biggest thing that people need to focus on more is like that whole thought process around just how to, how to coach. Um, and I've talked about it like on many of my posts before too, um, just with other people, it's like being a coach versus being a trainer. It's like, that's a very big discrepancy is like a trainer will just like, okay, tip torso stuff. <laughs> Whereas like a coach, you just like, you need to be like, okay, uh, yesterday you said that you took your kid to a soccer practice and you said that when you got home, you had to help them with math homework till nine o'clock at night. You didn't get to sleep, had a bad sleep. You know, today is this an off day for you? Let's just put you into a hack squat. You know, normally we'd be doing five by five barbell squat today, whatever, very generic, obviously, but today let's just throw you into like a hack squat and let's just get some volume in. You're more stabilized, less thinking, more doing. Um, and you know, if you tell them like, Hey, this is still going to work your quads. This is still going to work that squat prime we've been trying to work on. Most of the time, they're pretty cool with that. Um, and if they're not, then maybe you're not explaining it well to them, but most people should be pretty understanding and it shows that you care. No, oh, 100%. But um, I think we'll wrap this one up. I, um, I'm really happy with, with what we talked about today. And I think there's a lot of great takeaways for people that you know want to try to like expand their assessments um, you know, stuff for them to kind of like look at and really focus on when it comes to their screening process. Um, if you don't have an intake process, you should. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, hundred yeah, percent. Start, start, th start there. <laughs> if it's just like a quick, like, Hey, DM me for a program. Um, and then you just fire it off. It's like, okay. Um, yeah. So first have an assessment or intake process. Um, and like you mentioned before too, like an injury report is like more so to cover you. Um, yeah. obviously it's, it's to like, it's also to consider stuff for your programming for that client, but it's also just to cover your ass, um, and make sure that you are, you know, you're playing it safe on your end, because if you're wanting to be with them for any period of time, um, you never hope that somebody's going to try to like, you know, get money out of you, but it does happen. Yeah. Um, sorry, just not to cut you off. I would even say for that specific assessment, what I found helps a lot is like, ask them if they have injuries or like what's bothering them, not even injury. Like it's almost like a twofold question. Ask them what their previous injuries are and then ask them what's bothering them in the last like month, two months, three months. First, yes. wait for them to answer and then send them secondary, like your, um, your insurance policy of like, oh, tell me more about these things. Cause then you can specifically tailor it to that. Yeah. Um, 
and then that way it's not like a 20 page report that you send them in the beginning it's like okay get the get the bare bones of what you need to start and then dive into it more as you have them along that process i find that works yeah. a lot easier because then then there's like a second there's another layer of commitment that's already been established yeah and then you can actually see how they move and like which positions they or like resort to or how they bias to because like exactly they might they might say like oh it's actually you know my left knee that's bugging me but then you see them squat and it's like okay it's a right side issue right and like that's the thing is most clients don't know that um but that's the whole point of like you know coaching and actually just being able to like hey something wonky with your <laughs> with your right side yeah there's something going on there that shouldn't be going on there but um so i'm gonna again have all of your information obviously at the beginning for those people that are listening to the podcast yep. um but just once again if you want to plug your social you know um instagram is probably the one that you use the most that's when i see you posting on the most um and then just talking about stuff that you have in the works people that you are collaborating with and then all that stuff yeah so i might have a few things here so for anything me personally jeff.t.anderson that's my instagram handle there's a lot of jeff anderson's so it took me a while to kind of figure that one out um if you go onto my instagram page you'll see some affiliations that i'm with but if you want to go to my website or have any more direct contact with me you can go to www.pigironathletics.com that's just my own like personal business handle that i made um for more powerlifting specific um I'm under the tutelage of Stephen Cassioli, West Coast powerlifting Canadian legend out here in BC. Um, so his Instagram handle is Cassioli SNC, and that's for online powerlifting. We do anything, or you know, he's more the front runner from it. From like online prep for powerlifting meets, we do meet day handling a lot, a lot in the West Coast, especially in BC meets, especially since those are picking up now more um, in BC. Yeah. Um, and like, for example, he's even going out to, uh, St. John's Newfoundland in, what is it? 10 days for IPFs and he's hand yeah, and he's right away here. Yeah. And he's handling like seven, eight people there. Right. So it's like, that's a service that, um, we are definitely doing out there. That's something as like a, um, it's a, it's a very interesting, uh, it's been very interesting to learn a lot more behind the scenes of that process, working with working with him and under him um, for a while. And then I do in-personal training at Yard Athletics and that's at Yard Athletics underscore. That's their Instagram handle. But if you want to train with me in person, if you're in the Vancouver area um, or even if you're stopping by, they have a sick gym um, def- developed more for like strength and conditioning. Um, that's, that's what we market to when we train people in person. But you can come down there to Yard Athletics underscore. It's in downtown Vancouver. Um, if you wanted to train with me in person. Credit words do. Thanks, man. Thank Appreciate you. your time. Oh, thank you, man. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, looking forward to when we can meet up next. Hopefully, either I come out to Edmonton, you come back down to BC, or we can meet somewhere in between. Yeah, looking forward to it.